two yearling heifers decided to perform a late night heist, broke into an old barn, nosed around in several areas, but as they left, they were ataxic, stiff, and eventually died. Welcome to Talks Talk. I'm Brad White, and joined today by Dr. Scott Fritz, a clinical assistant professor here in toxicology at Kansas State College of Veterinary Medicine. Hi, Scott. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me. We're happy that you share these cases with us because I think a, a lot of times it lets us go back and revisit. You've accumulated these cases, you and Dr. Inslee, over the last several years, and we're able to go back and talk through what are some of the things we found out because tox cases often, just like this one, Everything's fine yesterday, and today there are things that are dead, and we got to sort out what, what needs to be done. Tell us about this case. I, I mentioned at the top, there's a couple of heifers that broke into a barn that they weren't supposed to get into, uh, and like many barns, it had stuff in it that may have been old and forgotten about. Yeah, and this is a pretty common history. I think this particular place is a fairly recent purchase, and so the barn's been there for way longer than the owners have been there. There's not a lot of historical knowledge. They just weren't using the barn as a barn. The submitting veterinarian had talked about a respiratory, couple respiratory cases and was concerned that maybe this is a progression of that. But when they, she'd mentioned they broke into a barn, and they found them in the barn, you know, had some pretty severe clinical signs. And so the producer and the veterinarian are starting to poke around, and they find this corner there's a broke open bag of boric acid. I got some pictures from there too. And there's a couple five gallon buckets. They got a bunch of these old metal cans in them. You can't read any of the labels. The labels have peeled off. Probably like every barn in America, there's a, a waste. Unno water, unknown old chemicals present. And I want to follow up a little bit because you're, we mentioned clinical signs in this case were ataxia, stiff gait, sounds like neurological but occasionally respiratory disease cases in stage respiratory disease cases can look neurological because basically they're running out of oxygen to their brain at that point. So the initial thought, maybe it had something to do with that is actually pretty easy to rule out. If we do sometimes first tool in your tool bag is a, is a knife and you do a necropsy. Sure. And the, this one, especially, you know, the, every animal that didn't get into the barn was clinically normal. And so the two that are in the barn are the ones having the problem. So it's a pretty reasonable jump to assume there's something in the barn uh, going on. And so, yeah, the necropsy is a valuable tool. I think that's usually my first step in any of these cases. Can identify some of the gross lesions, at least get an idea of, of where the damage is occurring. Um, so in this case specifically, there were no gross lesions, at least reported on the submission form or, or my conversations with the veterinarian. So I encouraged to submit some samples. We didn't get a brain, which we've talked about in some of these cases. That you know, Neurologic cases, the brain's a good organ to submit, but necropsies had already been performed and the carcasses had been buried so that we were not getting a brain on that case. But if we're going to get brains, and we've talked about before how much you'd submit, you'd, you would take the whole brain, half of it to formalin, half of it as fresh sample. What's your recommended method for taking the brain out? It's going to depend on everybody. So I learned, you know, you've learned multiple methods. You know, they teach you how to use an axe. I frankly like to use a handsaw and just go vendor, go straight down the midline. So you end up with two hemispheres. If you can hit it dead center, they're typically pretty even, but you can keep one fresh and, and put the other in formalin. So you, you take a handsaw and, and you remove the skin first and then go right down the midline and then basically go through the skull, split the brain, take your halves out. Yeah, that's how I did it in practice. Now we have a bandsaw here, so I don't have to do that. Okay. <laughs> we also teach the axe method um, so that's or hatchet. You know, there's there's multiple ways. Just try not to damage it and split it longitudinally after it's out. So I've got half fish 
half yeah. fresh and half fixed. Absolutely. And, and as with anything else, the more times you do it, the more comfortable you are and the easier if I've got a neurologic case, I do want those brains and probably, and you, you've taught me before, ocular fluid. Yep. For right. Sure. So I'll get the ocular fluid. You get the brain. Yeah. And so <laughs> in toxicology, especially these acute cases, rumen contents can be pretty good because it's to, if it's an acute type thing, like they're exposed and they die within hours, usually there's something in the rumen that we can look for. Obviously, it's absorbed and go to the liver. So the liver is a great sample. It's metabolized there. And then most things are excreted through the kidney. And so we want the kidney um, that kind of guides that process. And then ocular fluid is just a good proxy for serum at the time of death. So that's why we prefer those samples. So you, you get all these samples, and let's just say in this barn, it sounds like there is a, almost every potential chemical and potentially everything in there is toxic, right? The cattle were not supposed to be in this barn. So how do we start narrowing the playing field of what's going on here? And I'm also concerned what happened to those two, but is there any potential exposures to the rest of the herd? Yeah, that's always a good question what to do with the cohorts. I think you need to make the diagnosis first. These cases, obviously you could throw the kitchen sink at them, but in the interest of time and money, I think, uh, you know, trying to have a well-defined plan of what you want to do. And so as these samples come in, the formalin takes fixation and embedding, and that takes a little bit of time to get the histo done. So in the short term, I can do some things through the toxicology lab. So we talked about ocular fluid, you know, a nitrate screen's not unreasonable. It's pretty fast. I opted to do a heavy metal panel on the liver and kidney in this case. Just I had some suspicions on some of those cans. I mean, it's again, it's a pretty fast analysis if I get it on the right day. You're thinking what kind of heavy metals? So the first thing that when I looked at those cans and with the clinical science, I had a case when I was in practice that so we had some cows get into some arsenic. And it was pretty similar clinical signs. You know, I saw videos of them. I guess I didn't see the cows in person. And so I was wondering about arsenic, potentially lead can do that. They weren't blind, which a lot of times lead exposures are blind. And then arsenic I, doesn't. No, I thought, I, I thought, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you, but I, I thought I lead thought. would take a long time to develop. This was very acute clinical. I mean, they broke in the barn. They're not doing well and dying. I thought lead was a buildup over time. And then once they got to a certain level, you, you'd see them get there. Not acute like this. Really depends on the source. So if your source is a lead plate battery, a big chunk of battery is going to take time to dissolve, um, get absorbed, and cause clinical signs. But on some of these old insecticides, the lead is in a more powder form. It's just more available, and it can happen on a kind of an acute basis like this. Okay, so that's good to know because that was one of my, the times I've seen lead, the sources we have found, you know, you get an old battery in the pasture, you've got something else out there. It takes them a long time to accumulate blood levels enough to reach that toxicity. But in this case, could be very rapid if you go right to the source. What about arsenic? Arsenic's pretty rapid, depending on the source. So the arsenic's really dependent on the valence, and we could get into that. So probably a different discussion for a different day, but it's most metals depend on the valence, and arsenic's pretty available, again, in a powder form. One of the more common sources is actually the old CCA, chromated copper arsenate-treated lumber, which you can't use in residential projects, but still can be used on some of the more rural agricultural-type buildings. But the ash from those, so if you've got that wood and you burn it, the arsenic gets really available, and those cows, for whatever reason, like the ash from that lumber. So that's probably the most common source, honestly, that we see toxicology. So be careful where you burn some of those because that could be, especially if they go nosing around, and they will. I mean, you, we've all seen them go out and they're like, hey, burn pile, wonder if there's any good treats in there. Yeah, for sure. Let's try to not burn it where animals have access. So what'd you find on your panel? 
So the I ran both the liver and kidney. Just depend. Sometimes either organ will be elevated depending on timeline and things. So I just run both. Um, the arsenic should be under seven, and it was like eighteen on both samples. And the lead um, tissue lead under five or over five is what you see in in actual poisoning cases, and it was like four point eight. So the lead's actually getting up there too. So that tells me we had some old lead arsenate insecticide in there they got into. Something that they got into. Let's maybe take this a different track. Let's say they didn't die right away. We find out, or there's one of them that didn't die. We find out it's lead, arsenic, poisoning, kind of a combo in this case. What's my go-to treatment? What do I do first? So the treatment's a difficult question. There's really no approved antidotes for it. Traditionally, dimer caprol has been used for arsenic, um, calcium EDTA for lead, but they're not approved for food animals. And so it's an important consideration from a residue standpoint. The arsenic actually will be eliminated pretty rapidly compared to the lead. The lead's going to hang around forever. And so the lead's going to distribute and hang up in the bone. And so it's tough to get rid of. So honestly, long-term, I don't know that I'd be that concerned about arsenic, but it'd be worth monitoring the whole blood levels of those, both those metals before any animals are moved off the place. So the big thing to think about is we don't want them going into human consumption before those are out of the, If they live through this, which we don't have a lot of good treatments for them. So do we just let them go? Is there anything else we do, palliative care? Yeah, I mean, supportive care is probably all you're going to be able to do. But once the, especially with lead, so we could probably ignore arsenic for a long-term problem. But with the lead, it's going to hang up in the bone and it's just going to take time before they'll eliminate lead from the blood to the point where they could be slaughtered. And so that's a point of contention. It depends on your state. Some states will quarantine an entire herd until they can measure blood lead below a certain threshold. Still, some of those carcasses will be condemned. I would for sure be deboning and not eating liver or kidney off any of those animals. We don't really have a lot of great information to support any of that. So in this case, we've all had accidents like this happen, right? Cattle get to where they shouldn't be and got into something that we didn't want them to get into. What other preventative measures could I, because I know accidents are going to happen. What preventative measures could I take? What should I do to prepare for things like this? I think honestly, these older barns, you need to just dispose of the waste that's in there. And it, I know probably every barn's got a situation like that, but it's animals. And like you said, the accidents happen. I don't know that you can prevent it other than not having it on the place. And if you don't know what it is, I don't know who you consult for that, but there's got to be some sort of specialist that could come in and take care of those chemicals for you. I think you're exactly right. Some of the stuff that we have sitting around that someday maybe I might use, but if I don't know what it is, and like the situation you described, I've got jars or cans of stuff of unknown source, figure out a way to safely and environmentally friendly dispose of that. And I suspect there are resources in your county or region that you could contact and say, here's what I've got. Yeah, I, that's about the only thing you could do from a preventative measure. Um, as far as the animal side, I think that it's important on, on this herd especially, we recommended checking bl whole blood and or just seeing everybody else that was potentially exposed, and we can make decisions based upon that. And did you find anybody else that was exposed or just these two? Uh, there, I think there were two others that had mildly elevated blood lead, so those need to stay on the place until they drop. You know, there's, like, again, it depends on the state. There's specified thresholds. Or sometimes, you know, on a yearling heifer like this, you just turn her into a cow and then you... And she'll stay on the place long enough. she'll yeah. stay on the place long <laughs> enough. So anything you would do different working through this one? No, I wish I had a brain from the start, but we didn't need it in this case and we were able to work through it pretty rapidly. So, it, you know, and the histopath came back after we had made a diagnosis and it was supportive, but we didn't have the 
gastrointestinal lesions that I typically expect with an arsenic case. And I think it was just a speed of onset thing that we just didn't see a you know classical presentation. Well, that's the interesting part to me of this whole case is how rapid the onset was with both lead and arsenic. So thanks for sharing with us, Scott. If there's more information anybody wants on this case or other cases that we've talked about, where can they go? Uh, the Beef Cattle Institute website, there's a talks page within there that's going to have great information, some references, some resources if there's, you know, want to do some additional reading on heavy metals. Excellent. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Brad.